0: everyone and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I want to personally welcome you to my kitchen here in the Chicago suburbs where I'm actually recording from and I'm just so glad you dropped by. For those new listeners, welcome. I hope you will come back each week. I invite into the kitchen some wonderful cookbook authors and culinary experts and foodies and uh, chefs and just an assortment of of people who love food. And for full disclosure, as those regular listeners know, I am probably one of the world's most horrible cooks, and I have started a personal culinary quest as I am trying to learn how to cook before my 50th birthday, which is in March of 2012. So I am so glad that you're joining me for this journey and my culinary quest. I will keep everyone updated as to my progress and want to invite you along as well to become fearless in the kitchen. And this is a topic that is just so appropriate for our wonderful guest today. I can't wait to introduce. We have two guests. And and first of all, I would like to introduce to you... Um, Sharon Myers, she is a, a co-president of Chicago Gourmets, a wonderful group. I'll let Sharon tell you all about it that I have just joined here in the Chicago area. So for those listeners that might be interested in um, really entertaining your, your palate and uh, learning uh, about More Things Gourmet. This is definitely a group to connect with. And then I'll let her give a quick introduction of our next guest, um, who is a New York Times bestseller and just an amazing woman who I had the privilege and honor of meeting the other day through Chicago Gourmets. And it's just life changing. So I can't wait uh, for you to tune into this episode of Kitchen Chat. So without further ado, Sharon, welcome to my kitchen. Hi, Margaret. Hi. And please tell us about this wonderful organization, Chicago Maze. Okay. Uh, Chicago
1: Maze is overall a food and wine club, or non-for-profit, interestingly enough. And this club has been around for 14 years. In the Chicago area, which makes it the oldest in our area, but also the largest with 700 members providing, depending on the year, 70 and sometimes more than 70 dining experiences throughout Chicago. So sometimes these dining experiences are lunches, brunches, dinners, teas. The whole idea is conviviality, and as you just experienced on Sunday, that was our most recent event, uh, really interesting food and wine, signature dishes, an all-inclusive value-added price, and always some kind of educational element to each event. Uh, Kathleen Flynn who is an author of a book I had uh, worked with before a few years ago with her first book, uh, The Your Knife, The Less You Cry. Mm-hmm. We did that event at Chez Joelle. She was our guest at Bistro Voltaire on Sunday for her newest book, The Kitchen Counter Cooking School, and really described what her book was all about, gave those people who came to the dinner insights into why she wrote the book, and sold the book and we also used parts and some of her recipes for
0: the nine dishes paired with wines in the dinner. Which were incredible and I just want to give a little bit of interesting background. Um, And Kathleen, who is going to be our our guest that's coming on in just a second, um, I discovered Kathleen through People Magazine. And I'm like, oh, I would love to meet this lady because she talks about how to become fearless in the kitchen. And as we know, I am on a culinary quest to become fearless in the kitchen. And I'm, I'm like, okay, let me research her. And by researching Kathleen Flynn and her Book tour schedule. That is how I discovered you, Sharon, with Chicago Mays. I did
1: not know that.
0: Huh. Yes, and I was just so thrilled to, to discover this opportunity, you know, here in Chicago with Chicago Mays. And. To be quite honest, um, you know, this was my first ever culinary event, and I I was a little nervous because I thought, oh, everyone's going to be foodies. And pardon me, my my, uh, Chihuahua pango is (laughs) parking in the background here in the kitchen. The kitchen is always like the hubbub of activity for the house, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it for most
1: of our houses? Absolutely,
0: exactly. But anyway, um, when I, I when I first went in, I was just a little Nervous because I'm thinking everyone that is there is a gourmand, and I'm still learning. I'm a newbie and all of this, and I didn't want to embarrass myself. I want to say, listeners, I encourage you to check out Chicago Maze. They are so welcoming and so nice, and and they want you to learn right along with everyone about uh, the different cuisines and, and food. And, and I just want to say a thank you for that experience. You were just so welcoming in your group, Sharon.
1: Thank you. That's really an interesting comment because, yeah, foodies enjoy Chicago gourmets. People who are interested in learning enjoy Chicago gourmets. It's really all about enjoyment over the table with other people for those number of hours. And so, yeah, it's, it's not really about what, you understand already. It's just being with other people and enjoying the experience. And that's why we offer all different kinds of experiences, you know, during the day, during the night, during, you know, on a Tuesday, on a Friday, on a Saturday. With 70 events, people have a lot to choose from. Yes. And so it makes it interesting for whatever your concept, whatever your budget. You know, we have dinners that are six courses paired with champagne, They're always value-added, and they're also always included, tax and gratuity and such. You know, some of those dinners are maybe $80. We have one on December 14th coming up at $28 for a three-course tea and a demo with an author, Julia Usher, on her Ultimate Cookie Book, which was just launched in November. Give Mm -hmm. people a preview of what that book is all about. They learn how to decorate cookies. That's inclusive of tax tips. Champagne, wine, and the food. So you know you right. could spend under thirty dollars and enjoy the afternoon.
0: Yes, and and it's a great investment for those who are on a culinary quest as well, like myself. So don't be intimidated. Be fearless and and reaching out to those in um, the gourmet um, circles because uh, I've I found an interesting common thread, and I'd be interested in your insight as well that. People who have such a passion for food seem to love to share that passion, and it's not about who knows what and who is dining where, but it, it, it's just a shared experience. As you're right, just sharing food, breaking bread together, learning, learning together. And, and, and speaking of learning, I just cannot wait for the listeners to hear from our next, uh, our, our other guest that's with us today. Kathleen Flynn. Kathleen, welcome to Kitchen Chat.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited.
0: Oh, well, it was just so exciting to meet you at this wonderful Chicago May's event on Sunday at Bistro Voltaire, a, a new um, restaurant in downtown Chicago. And And your opening words, I I felt like you were just talking to me, Kathleen, about, (laughs) and I love the story, and I want you to be the one who shares the story of how your your latest book, um, The Kitchen Counter Cooking School, How a Few Simple Lessons Transformed Nine Culinary Novices into Fearless Home Cooks. Would you mind sharing with the listeners how this began?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I actually had just finished studying at the Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, which had been a, a lifelong dream of mine, and, and as Sharon noted, I, I wrote a, an earlier book called The Sharper Your Knife, The Less You Cry, and that was when I actually first hooked up with fabulous, uh fabulous group, and that was really about a journey to really try to learn how to cook too so i really mm-hmm. i'm it's funny because i'm kind of listening to you talking and, and i i'd always loved to cook but i felt very intimidated and i really wanted to to really feel like i knew how to cook and and i ended up going you know kind of went for it in a big way after i left my job or, or really it left me frankly Aww. and i cashed in one of my 401ks and and i went to the lacuna in paris and Wow. It was a great experience, but it's funny because I thought, "Wow, I throw such good dinner parties; the chefs are going to be so impressed by me." And I actually turned up at school in Paris and found out I didn't know how to hold a knife properly. And and you know, there were a lot of tears and a lot of <laughs> and a lot of a lot of ball and and a bunch of other things. <laughs> But but you know it kind of came out on the other side of that feeling like wow I had really learned a lot and it made me realize how much I still needed to learn. But
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I also realized just as you were saying, I now had this information and I I had this training and I I didn't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would ask me, oh well you know where are you working in a restaurant and where's your restaurant and wanted to know what I was doing with my degree all the time and. And I really struggled with it. I mean, I'm a food writer, which I thought should be enough, frankly. But but it did make me think about it and how to share it or or utilize it in some way. And I was actually thinking about this when I was walking through my local grocery store one day and I saw a cart that was parked near the tuna and all the, you know, dried pastas and stuff, and it was packed with all these boxes, and it was like the kind of boxes, like those kits that, like, held hamburger and, right. you know, stuffing mixes and jars of gravy and things like that, and I remember contemplating that because even though it was halfway full, it didn't have any actual food in it, <laughs> <laughs> like, it just really struck me for the first time, like, wow, there's no really, really real food in any of this stuff, But and at first I thought maybe it was a restocking cart, like they were going to go and take all these boxes <laughs> and put them back on the shelves or something. But then a woman came and claimed it, mm. and along with her daughter, who was 11. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was so intrigued by the fact that, you know, this, this didn't look like some huge couch potato. I mean, just like a totally normal person and normal woman and her daughter and, you know, looked kind of tired from work. And I was just really curious if you start shopping, that it looked like she'd started, Right. It, with that in your inventory, <laughs> what are you going to add to it? So I followed her around the floor. <laughs> and I, now it sounds so creepy. But no. i told this story, and um, I've been on this big national book tour, and it's kind of drawing to a close next week. But I told this story when I was in San Francisco, and, and a researcher from Berkeley told me that it's not stalking. It's called action research. I think I said that the other night. Action research. Dinner. You did actually. That I was really interesting that. for the group. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you did I action busy, research. Uh, so <laughs> you know, I was busy action researching this woman around the store through all the aisles and so on, and and watched her, you know, buy stuff that, so, you know, in some parts of the store that I never shop because, you know, I'm a foodie. I just I don't right. shop in the frozen food aisle often, and and it made me really realize how how, you know, I was sort of in what I now refer to as sort of the foodie bubble that, you know, I, I think that I wasn't as aware of, of sort of what normal people, if you use mm-hmm. that phrase, or like what, you know, most people, you know, how right, shop every and day. buy and yeah. that sort of thing. And, and as it happened, I ended up following her, and then um, I was in the meat department, and she actually reached across me to buy some boneless, skinless chicken breast, and she talked to me. And she said, oh, can you believe how expensive boneless chicken breasts are these days? And I thought, hey, it's my chance to actually talk to her. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would never have talked to her if she hadn't talked to me first. So I said, oh, well, you know, whole chickens are on sale and they're 99 cents a pound, you know. And, and she just thought that was the craziest thing. Like, what would she do with the whole chicken? And kind of long story short, I got the butcher to show her how to cut up this chicken and he did it for her, but then he gave it to her, and she didn't know what to do with the rest of it. She only cooked with chicken breast.
0: Right. Right. So as it
2: happened, they were sell- they were selling a co- they were selling my first book in paperback at the supermarket. So I went and I got a <laughs> copy, and I gave it to her, and I said, I'll buy you this book. But I just, I don't know. I just really, I feel like I really want to help you, and I, I just, I, I want you to know what to do with the rest of your chicken. I just couldn't let oh. her get away with this chicken. So, we ended up, she, there's a recipe in the first book for a mustard braised chicken. It's actually mm-hmm. delicious. It's a very inexpensive and easy recipe. And and so she amazingly, and I kind of still can't believe it. She agreed, okay, I'll give that a try. That sounds sure. But it meant we had to go buy real food because we had to get <laughs> like an you onion had and some carrot. And <laughs> sorry, right. So we did. And
1: after and so you, going
2: to the The produce department, we ended up going through and and talking, and and through the course of the next hour, we ended up clearing out a lot of the boxes
0: in Mm -hmm. her cart and
2: replacing them with the food, real food, to make what they were attempting to replicate. And that was the genesis of of where this next book came from.
0: Yes, and I can't wait for us to, to, to hear about that next book, but let's go back to the grocery aisle here for a second. And... And actually back to Bistro Voltaire, because Kathleen, when you were talking about that lady that you followed in the grocery store, I just turned beet red because, oh, my gosh, was she following me the other day at the grocery <laughs> store? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it really was kind of an aha moment, personally, because, yes, I am the one that gets the, the package chicken and all of that, and and also... I am the one, it seems like I'm living from a box and, and, but I love to think outside of the box. So (laughs) you, yeah. So you have really just encouraged me in this culinary quest as well to to dig deeper to to really learn more about cooking and i can't wait to you know i purchased both of your books and thank you so much for for signing them and and i love how you signed them uh, the first one the sharper your knife the less you cry love laughter and tears the world's most famous cooking school you signed it to Margaret. Remember to taste, taste, taste. <laughs> and I guess um, part of the culinary journey, um, aside from the cooking journey, you know, um, is about finding your own palate and finding your own taste, finding your own seasonings. Yeah. And finding the right recipes. And I, I'm so glad that you do include recipes in in that book. Um so I did you hear back from the the unknown lady with no. the grocery cart full of boxes?
2: No, I you know I've, I've been really hoping I would hear from her um, hmm. when this book came out. And when I said the next book, I meant this book. I was talking about the second book, but um, I yeah I thought I've been hoping I would hear from her. Maybe I will. Um, I. I didn't ask for her phone number or anything because I thought that really would be risky. I <laughs> <She probably laughs> think I'd show up at her house, but um, but I, that afternoon really stayed with me, and I I really wanted to understand how somebody, you know, I mean, like you were even saying, you know, you're a, a smart person and right. you know completely able to do anything you put your mind to, and why, you know, sometimes people feel limited in terms of what they can do in the kitchen, and yeah, I started, yeah, I started doing research, and I just couldn't find enough research or the right research to really address that because I wanted originally just I was going to write a story about it Mm -hmm. and then I don't know one day I was watching What Not to Wear and and I just thought you know that's what I want to do and you know I I decided to do a kind of culinary What Not to Wear and to find a group of women who would let me come into their kitchens and look through their you know fridges and freezers and cupboards and then I watched them cook, and then I gave them cooking lessons, and talked to them about, you know, cooking and food and their issues, and there were so many emotional issues around food and cooking. I think particularly for women, um, hmm. you know, and, and what have if you found? To, yeah, yeah.
0: And what have you found to be the most salient, I guess, emotional um, issue? but I think it's people... lack of confidence. It's yeah, really, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. is really
2: the missing ingredient, and I think there. There are a lot of reasons why. And, you know, it's kind of a confluence, I think, of events that have happened to bring us to this place where, you know, we would buy stuff, you know, while we cook in boxes. And I think one really started, you know, probably back in the, you know, after World War II. And what a lot of people don't realize when they, you know, pick up a box and say, you know, fettuccine Alfredo or something is that, that they're actually eating a, a kind of modern version of army rations because that's where hmm. that technology started. And so, after World War II, they had all this, you know, sort of all these machines dressed up to powder mayonnaise and nowhere to go. And so they were trying to figure out, well, how can they remarket that? And huh. at the same time, you know, there was sort of this, you know, a, a real boom in the in the United States economy, and and so there people were spending more on food and and had more access to, you know, this between shipping and transportation and a lot of other things, there was, there was sort of a revolution in, in how people ate in the 1950s in a good way as well right. as, you know, in a way of, you know, introducing a lot of processed food to our diets. But they, I think basically food manufacturers started around that time to really see what the market would bear in terms hmm. of what people would would pay for and buy and make or not make, you know, some things worked, you know, cake, mix, yes, you know, hamburger, can no. But, But I think since then there's been a very concentrated and, and you know, continuous beat of a message from many sides that tells people that cooking is not worth your effort and it's not worth your time. Your time yeah, I would so say Kathleen, as a
1: reader of your book, uh, I agree. It's
2: not just lack of confidence
1: that I read through and understood but misunderstanding of time that people you worked with, women particularly said, I don't have the time. They didn't expect that it was worth their time or that cooking from scratch necessarily took less time than all the boxed kinds of non-food. And I think another thing you said uh, during the Bistro Voltaire event was it hits home so much because so much of what we do with Chicago Gourmets relates to chefs and their work and their signature dishes and, book writers like you who create. And that is, you said, we've got so much out there, more than any other time in history, about learning to cook and about food. And we see it on TV and we listen on radio and online, and yet people cook less. Wow, that to me is a huge disconnect between all this great information and then lack of practicality and how to actually do it.
2: Yeah, it makes and sense. I, think I think it's absolutely true. And I think cooking shows are a big kind of second spoke in this wheel. I mean, I think... Mm-hmm. You know, and on one hand, you know, when Julia Child was teaching people to cook in the early '60s, I think the difference between that, for instance, with Julia Child, I mean, one, I think she focused on French cuisine, which was very hot at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took her 10 years when it was really not that particularly fashionable. She made it popular. And then suddenly. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, also, you know, the Kennedys are in the White House, and they had a French chef, and, you know, I mean, I just think that there was a real glamorization around French cuisine right at that time. I mean, it was a really... But she
0: still focused toward, her focus was toward the home chef.
2: Definitely. And, and making it doable. People, yeah, and I think her whole thing was about really teaching people fundamental techniques in order to construct these dishes and make them feel very accessible, but... I think what, what is sort of a missing component now is that you know now cooking seems like magic. Like people watch it and they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> like it's like a trick. You know they don't go home like try to figure out how the tricks are done. But at the time that Julia Child started cooking in the '60s, there was pe- most you know I would say most people who were watching her had a fundamental grasp on how to cook. I mean they still taught home economics schools. You know, parent- mothers weren't working outside the home as much. You know, a lot of women, say, in their 20s and 30s, watching Julia Child on television in the 60s had grown up knowing how to cook. And I, right. I think that what's happened now is you watch television, maybe your mother didn't cook, she didn't cook much, you know, maybe she, you know, didn't pass it down, you know, whatever. Right. And then so now you kind of watch people.
0: You We've know, skipped a generation. Yeah, or
2: two, really. I I think it's really about
0: two generations away. And And so I think that
2: that's a really big difference.
0: Right, and you're hitting some very essential points because personally from my experience, and believe me, the irony doesn't escape me that here I host (laughs) Kitchen Chat and (laughs) I don't know how to cook, but but I plan to learn how and uh, uh, with your help, actually, and I'll get to that in a minute, Kathleen. But um, my father was the most incredible gourmet chef. That was his outlet. Instead of getting on a treadmill, which you know, I don't think was invented back then, he would come home after a long day at the office and just cook these incredible gourmet meals. And he was a gourmand, and this is decades before it was really hip to be you know, a gourmand, and he started these uh, gourmet clubs in, in, in Alabama, and, and people would come to our home. So I ate delicious food at a young age, and then my mom, bless her heart, Was not confident in the kitchen and and, um, did not um, prepare a lot of the meals. So I didn't sit with her and and learn how to cook. And my big regret is not learning how to cook from my dad. But um, you're right. I think it's competence and confidence. And I am just really trying to learn both, gain confidence in the kitchen. And I think the confidence side will increase as I feel that the competence (laughs) is growing. And, and you said people are just aren't familiar with the fundamentals of cooking. And, and, and where do you begin? So when you walked into the kitchens of these nine women who were novice, you know, home cooks, what did you notice that was kind of a common thread that, that were missing? I mean, did they not have the key essential, uh, kitchen tools or, uh, Cookware. I mean what what did you what did you determine from um, opening their cupboards
2: yeah i I think that there were a couple of things that I really noticed I mean, I also watched them cook, so they you know would make a go to meal or, or in some cases mm-hmm. did it a couple of times and and the first thing that I noticed was that they didn't know how to use a knife um, and and I've actually been on tour and I've literally talked to well over a thousand people on tour about this now. And I would say that when I ask a group of people and an audience, do you feel confident that you know how to hold a knife properly mm-hmm. that, and that you know how to, you know, you really know how to use it? And I would say that less than 10% of people respond in, a, in the affirmative. And, so
1: I and think it's something hearing- we
2: don't teach people. And, and I think that that... That is like a real starting point because right. you want and people to cook with whole foods, but whole foods, in order to cook them, you have to cut them up. I mean, you right. need
1: no preparation. You just it, do. Yeah,
2: and I, it's like you know, you look at the ingredient list, and it's one onion chopped, and if you don't, it, you know, you look at that. And go, God, it's going to take me forever to cut this stuff up, and 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 I think that that's a real. It's it's a probably the most strategic thing that people can learn is like one, get a good knife and it doesn't have to be a $300 knife. And here's my thing, Kathleen. I have
0: this beautiful wedding gift of, oh, what is it? The Hinkle? I can't pronounce that. You know, high end brand. Exactly. And I don't know which knife is supposed to be used for, you know, whatever product, you know, whatever food dish. I, I, you know, with just Knives 101, I mean, when, when do you use, I guess, the peering knife? When do you use the yeah. chef knife? You know, I, I just that would be so helpful.
2: Well, I can give you a 30-second lesson on that.
0: So Great. The first thing is,
2: <laughs> I, I never get a sponsorship from Henkels because I, I personally don't think people need a, a block of knives. I, I think mm-hmm. that really what you need are really three knives, and one is a chef's knife, and you can probably mm-hmm. do 90% of all the tasks in a kitchen with a chef's knife. And it's kind of the big knife, um, you know, it's a, it's a bigger knife with a kind of wider, flatter blade. It's the one you always see people using on Top Chef. Yes, And, yes. you know, and, and I think the key with that is, is to have a quality knife that feels good in your hand, that feels comfortable. Um, and that has the ability to take an edge and keep an edge. And so usually that means it has a little, you know, higher carbon content. But like I was saying, you know, you don't have to spend $300 on a knife. You can get a decent knife for, you know, starting at like around 50 bucks, really. Hmm. But I think having a good quality chef's knife and then a paring knife often is a, second, a great second tool. And it's for cutting up and peeling smaller vegetables and that sort of thing. And the last knife that I think makes a good, you know, kind of rounding out of a trio is a bread knife and a serrated knife. So you can use it. You know, for bread and tomatoes and that sort of thing and, and other other stuff. But I think probably the vast majority of people and I would put it at well over ninety percent, probably only need those three knives. I mean, if you're not a confident cook, you're probably not filleting a lot of fish. And you're not no. taking the bones <laughs> out of fowl and you're you know, you're not and I have to say I've never seen anyone in Top Chef whip out their vegetable knife. Like I don't even know what you would do with the utility knife or a sandwich knife. I mean if you really find that you have a deep need for those sort of things, and you know, then then you know, God be with you. But I, I think that as a general thing, you can right. do most of what you need to do with a chef's knife.
0: And where do you well, recommend going? Mm-hmm.
1: I said okay. you wrote something really interesting in your second book about um, in the current book about those knives. And I thought just was so useful for everybody. And that was you don't have to spend a lot of money, but if you take care of your knives, they'll last for twenty or thirty years. Wow. So that's a great investment of $30 or $50. And you don't have to be changing them every Christmas. You can keep them for decades and just be comfortable with them. And that was really useful in my own house with my kids.
2: Yeah, I think exactly. I mean, I think one is, you know, keep your knives sharpened. You know, get them professionally Mm -hmm. sharpened.
0: It's and where like do you uh, go? And I'm sorry. Where do you go to get a, professionally a great
2: sharpened? Question that I think I'm going to put an FAQ on my website because oh. literally everybody asks. <laughs> oh, um, Margaret, I, think I can a, give
1: you a suggestion in Chicago. Actually,
2: okay. uh, Sir La
1: Tabla does it. They okay. charge I think about a dollar an inch, and there are a few of them in Chicago. They used to have a free knife sharpening service for Ooh. one knife for customers every year. I've heard that they're thinking about bringing that back, but that's a great easy. And some of the uh, green city markets have knife sharpeners on site. You bring in your knives, which sounds kind of crazy when you're buying fruit and vegetables in bags and things, but people bring in their knives to have them sharpened, and then they go home with them. Uh, And surlite table will do it while you wait as well. You do not have to drop them off and pick them up next week. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's one that I have been using just because it's easy and convenient and not expensive.
2: Yeah, That's and cool. Thoratop is all over the country. They're a great starting point, and if for some reason that particular location doesn't offer that service, they can always tell you where to get where to get your knives sharpened nearby.
0: Oh, true, sure. wonderful, and, and, and a lot of a lot of hardware stores
2: also do it. Um, oh, and okay. if you are live anywhere near, say, uh, you know, a full service supermarket which has a butcher in it, and you know, by that I mean like you know, like some larger whole markets or like a dedicated butcher. Those guys sharpen their knives all the time.
0: <laughs> they can tell you.
2: They know a lot about knives, and they can tell you exactly where to take it if they don't. That's a really great advice, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that yeah. is great. And and I have to mention this. Speaking of sur la tabla, um, a prior chef that was on my show, a dear friend, Chef Carl Raymond, is now one of the chef instructors at uh, Sur La Tabla's flagship culinary center in New York. So New York mm. listeners, wow. please go um, say hello to Carl and, and visit the Sur La Tabla Culinary Center. It is just opening. so um, anyway. Yeah, I can't That's, wait
2: to go check that out in New York. Uh,
0: oh, oh, and yes, yeah. you'll have to, I'll introduce you guys to Carl. He is just delightful yeah. and was That'd a great. Player.
2: Um, yeah, I would say one that, other thing, too, about, you know, about your knife, and you were talking about yeah. taking it to the Green City Market. Um, is, you know, the, you can buy a knife guard. Um, they're cheap. They're 2 bucks. you know, 2 to $8. Dollars. You can um, clip it right on your knife, and then you can transport it safely to go get it sharpened. But it's also good at protecting your knives if you keep them in a drawer, if you don't have, say, a knife, you know, don't have a knife block. The other key thing is, you know, treat your knives with some respect. I mean, don't put them in the dishwasher. Dishwashers you are very difficult on knives. It's both a combination of the heat, mm. and it you know, has something to do with the fact that you know, they're made out of steel, and steel is tempered with heat. And the, it's not so much the water in the dishwasher. It's actually the steam um, in the steam drying section. And also, you know, dishwasher detergent is pretty harsh. I mean, we don't really, really realize yeah, you know, We don't see it. It's very abrasive, and it actually will take the edge off your knife. Frankly, it won't do much for the handle either. So, so easy rule, just never put sharp knives in the dishwasher. And that goes for steak knives too. Any, any wow. knife with a sharp edge, you don't want to put it into a dishwasher. It will cut oh. the life of your, of your knife down so significantly that it's, it's just it's easy. Just wipe off your knife. They're, they don't have to be massively uh, you know, d- disinfected or something because they're, they're not porous.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. knives
2: aren't porous, and so, therefore, they don't have a lot of bacteria in them. Just make sure you, you know, wash them off with some hot, soapy water and let them dry.
0: And it is okay to use the same knife for vegetables and meats. You're not cross-contaminating and all of that's okay? Yeah, you want to use
2: really good, basic sanitary habits, you know, if you cut up chicken or meat. You know, I I usually try to prep if I can. I try to prep all my vegetables first, Mm -hmm. and then I do whatever I need to do with, you know, meat or chicken or whatever. Um, You know, it's probably a good habit to have a couple of cutting boards, but in terms of a knife, just, you know, wash it, you know, I mean, I also wash my knives after, say, chopping up garlic, just because garlic is a very strong flavor, and Mm. so I I don't necessarily want everything I cut up after that (laughs) to taste like garlic, for (laughs) instance, so so it's a good habit to just get, you know, in the habit of just wiping down your knife anyway with a little soap and water, and just make sure you rinse it well, and
0: Yes, and thank you for sharing all of those tidbits on knives. And and back to the kitchen and what you discovered in these ladies' cupboards. And mm-hmm. and one was the lack of really good knives, which is just, yeah, just essential I think to have. One thing,
2: yeah, the number one thing that I noticed was knife skills. The second thing mm-hmm. was that um, people don't, people tend to have a overbuy. I mean, they tend to have a real mishmash mm-hmm. of stuff, and they're, and they're everywhere, whether it's their freezer or they're and frankly, I'm going to be honest. I'm so guilty of this too. I and I still, I still really struggle because I'll go, oh, look at this. I need this. <laughs> whatever it is. Oh, artichoke tapenade. I need that, you know, or whatever. But, right. but, um, but I think what happens is that people. One skill that um, researchers have found that people lost is the ability to plan and do good meal planning, and therefore, yeah. you know, they have a tendency to go well, and happens. <sighs> I'd say the place that I find it most difficult is at a farmer's market because things look good. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, those eggplants look awesome. I'll get some of those and I'll get these greens and I'll get this and I'll get that. And then, you know, what you find is that that you end up with not having a plan on what to do with all that stuff and frequently overbuy, particularly fresh produce, and that is when you have – a sad situation of wasting food, which is a huge problem in American households. Uh, That's another big yeah. thing I found was a lot of food, lots of food waste.
0: And, and, and let's go because you hit at the heart of it, especially in my household, and I'm just having true confessions here.
2: And that is
0: the whole planning process. And I am just ashamed to admit, yes, I just, with such regret, you know, throw out the moldy thing from the fresh produce that I found and just feel so guilty. It's like, oh, I just wish I had known how to cook this or what to cook. You know, so yeah. what is your recommendation for the, the home cooks in terms of meal planning? Do you plan something, you know, a whole meal for the whole week? I mean, what do you recommend and, and, and how did you work with the, the women featured in your book?
2: Yeah. So what I recommend actually is I think the Americans, um, I think in particular, because we have big fridges and, and bigger kitchens. I used to live in Europe and people couldn't do this kind of stocking up because I mean, when I lived in London and Paris, I had, you know, a fridge that was the size of a bar fridge, like your college dorm fridge, you know, you just couldn't stock a lot of stuff in it. But as a result, I shopped more often. And I noticed that you buy fresh, You hmm. buy fresh food and you don't waste it as often. And so I think one thing that I, I have subsequently, even since this project ended and the book ended, is I tell people, hey, you know, here are two great things to do. One is, I'll give you three. One, oh, good. come up with, for just and don't try to plan for a whole week. I think it's really hard to plan for a week of meals. It takes, it feels like it takes a lot of time. Plan really? for the next three days and go shopping. And think of, you know, dinner, what we use the leftovers for. We use them for lunch. We freeze them, you know. You know, if you have any remnant stuff that's going to be left over, if you're making something, you use half a head of cabbage, what are you going to do with the other half of the head of the cabbage?
1: <laughs> you know, and, and so think
2: about, think through not only the recipe you're going to make, but think through what you're going to do with the stuff that's in addition and left over for making that, whatever the recipes or the meals that you're going to make. Mm-hmm. And go and buy that stuff. Don't buy like 10 pounds of tomatoes. Buy, you know, one pound. And don't buy what you need. You know, buy what you need. And then go and shop more often. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, but it takes so much time to shop, and, you know, it's just so much easier to stock up. But actually what um, several researchers have found is that the more often you shop, the less you waste, and Hmm. the average American household wastes 30% of all the groceries that they bring home.
0: About 30%? It's a
2: lot. And if you think, think about this, so this is my other point to do, is to when you come home from, you know, I also tell people, just imagine that half of your fridge doesn't exist anymore. You know, just use one crisper drawer, use one shelf, you know, maybe two shelves. Ignore the rest of your fridge. you know, like just only think that you can buy enough food that fits on one shelf or in one crisper drawer so that you don't try that you don't try to fill up your whole fridge. Um, one chef actually even said, Take a picture of something you love and put it Hmm. in the back of your fridge. And you should always be able to see that picture.
0: I have a picture of my
2: husband and I kissing in Paris, one of my favorite pictures. And I figure if I can see my picture, then my fridge isn't too full.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then the other thing is to take Post-it notes after you go shopping and put the price of whatever you bought Uh onto the food so you know instead of looking broccoli and thinking that's a head of broccoli you look at it and go that's four dollars yeah or you know that yogurt is three or whatever and that makes a huge difference yeah makes a huge difference because when you go to take that and throw that away and you i tell that's four dollars that's four dollars and on and Mm -hmm. and on and on and i collect all those post-its for a week or two and it shocks people i've had i probably have had 100 people do this and it literally will cut people's food waste way down because you'd start not thinking about it that way and you start thinking, wow, I'm throwing a $5 bill in the trash because right. it's money, you know I exactly. mean? It's, so yeah, so I think that, you know, and then the last thing, it's just, you know, really come up with a couple of fundamental things. This was a huge thing for my, the volunteers is learn how to make a couple of quick meals that can utilize kind of anything that's left hmm. in your fridge you know that leftover wilty you know piece of zucchini and that you know that that random few carrots and you know whatever right. or this all that stuff and you know and those are everything from a really simple stir fry to soup you know those are, are two really simple things that you know people can learn how to make and and you can just kind of throw them all in and you know my mom always said if you can boil water you can make soup and, it, and it's really true I mean if you that don't And making soup is something that, you know, if we think back to it, if you had a grandmother who cooked, she probably made a lot of soup. And one reason she probably did was to use up leftovers. Or when things were seasonal, like if you had a ton of carrots, remember my grandmother made all this carrot soup when I was a kid, and I now realize why. (laughs) Because Hmm. she just had a lot of carrots and she didn't know Uh what to do with it. So she would actually... She's the only person I ever heard who did this, but she, made, she would make carrot soup. My grandfather liked it, and she would can it, huh. and they would you know, have it. So, wow. But, yeah,
1: so I, I that think that knowing. those are
2: really key things that I, I learned. And, and the other thing is if you shop at a bulk, like a warehouse store, like a Costco or a Sam's Club, and, and I'm not picking on them, I mean, right. any warehouse store, think about why you're doing it because I found that that leads to the most food waste. And while it seems like a good deal, if you throw out three heads of lettuce, that's not a good deal. It's, you know, if you want, if you really want to go shop at those places, what I do is I actually have two friends, and they're my Costco friends back in Seattle. <laughs> and I go and I meet them, and we get a mm-hmm. coffee, and we go and we, you know, we go shop together, and we share recipes, oh. and we divide stuff up, and, you know, and we'll buy, you know, whatever we need. I, I don't tend to buy a ton of fresh food there, fresh produce there, but, you know, I'll buy, you know, staple stuff, whatever. And and it's fun. And it kind of, I think even that simple thing of shopping together. Right. You know, I mean, right. rather so, than having it be a drudgery or, a ta- you know, some task, you know, instead of meeting so nice. somebody for coffee, you say, let's go shopping.
0: That is great, and then you can split up the the bulk produce, and um, and they do have some wonderful items. I'm a big fan of the Chinese uh, salad, in <laughs> that yeah, really cold I have area to, in the fridge. Yeah, <laughs> For or apple,
2: or yeast. I mean, you know, things like that. I mean, there are just some things that I. I prefer to buy at you know those places, but I, I would just never get through it. I mean, it's right. only my husband
0: exactly. and I. Exactly. But in the event that that people do overbuy and um, come back with a little bit too much, you have some wonderful recipes that. Um, um, readers can access on your website, which is Kathleen Flynn, that's K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-F-L-I-N-N.com, and you have a wonderful recipe tab. I, I just can't wait to explore um, the options that, that are available there. And I also want to mention, Kathleen, as I said, meeting you was truly life-changing in terms of... Um, my becoming fearless in the kitchen. I I am just really going to take that deer of yours to become fearless. We will in the look
1: forward kitchen. to your dinner parties, Margaret. Oh,
0: exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, that might be a while. But as you know, my goal is I I would love to have a tangible goal of really – uh, really learning a lot of the basics and, and becoming more confident and more competent in the kitchen by my 50th birthday, which is March 22nd, 2012. So we're only a few months at you know the time of this recording <laughs> away. But I just discovered today, Kathleen, a wonderful tab on your website called cooking lessons right. and how you have uh, partnered with, and if you could pronounce this for me, is it Ru- Ruby? Yes,
2: it's Ruby. Yeah, it's spelled R-O-U-X, which is a roux, you know, mm and the emulsion of flour and and butter. It's kind of clever. And so uh, ruby.com. And, I, you know, my husband and I wanted to put together sort of an online cooking school as a result Mm -hmm. of this book, but then we started doing it. We thought, this is really hard. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, and and so we ended up um, partnering with Ruby because, we just looked at what they had to offer, and we couldn't com- we couldn't compare it to anything. We couldn't find mm-hmm. anything else online that was as good. And you know, it's more you know they have videos of lots of different lessons, and they're very focused on technique. I mean, it's exactly my same philosophy about learning how to cook. They yeah, learn how to do some fundamental things and skills, and so on. So you can actually either you know one you can learn how to use a knife for free. This is one of the deals we made with Ruby. Right. I want to teach the whole world to use a knife so everybody can watch the <laughs> knife lesson for free and you can get a sense of what it's like. And then after that, you know, you can pick and choose and just watch. They're very inexpensive. They're like 4 or something.
0: Yes. Well, um, I think for like I a
2: 20-minute a... lesson. So, or right. Or do the whole class. And you and literally cook alongside the book and learn a lot of the same things that the volunteers did and, and to me, I, I really love how they put it together and they have quizzes and you can, you know, ask questions of the chefs and so on. And, of course, if you're going through that class or if you're reading the book at all, you can always email me directly. I, I answer all my email. And, in fact, oh. I, I literally just I can text to that even somebody. when you're on tour. You do. Yeah. <laughs> Except for when I'm on tour, I'm a little oh. slow to respond. Oh. No, you still do. Oh, That's so.
0: great, but I—I I am actually, and listeners, you're hearing it here first, <laughs> along with Kathleen Flynn and Sharon Myers, who is co-president of Chicago Mays. I am signing up for the full cooking class lessons. The Yay. Um, purchase, wow. You yes, purchase the entire eleven lesson class for thirty nine ninety five, a twenty five percent savings, um, or you can purchase individual lessons. But I am going to purchase the eleven lesson class and I think I'm going to really become very vulnerable here and maybe do a video blog of oh, my excellent. learning how to cook and just keep everyone posted and, and I appreciate <laughs> prayers, encouragement. <laughs> I will keep the fire extinguisher close by. <laughs> and um I, I as I try to overcome my fear and become fearless in the kitchen. I just love your your mantra there, becoming fearless in the kitchen. And, and you helped um, these nine women uh, face their fears and, and become very competent and confident home cooks. And you tell all about this Experience in your second book, Kitchen Counter Cooking School, and and as I said, I got a copy of that, and I look forward to reading that cover to cover, along with your first book, The Sharper Your Knife, the less you cry about learning um, how to to cook at the world's most famous cooking school uh, um, there in Paris at the Cordon Bleu, and and I just I I just really want to thank you Kathleen because here you are this gourmand as well as you Sharon um who are fabulous cooks and and have all of this knowledge yet you want to share and and you feel led to share your knowledge and and your love of cooking with those who truly struggle with it and are trying to find what it's all about really Yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely yeah yeah I think it is I I think I can't think of anything that's really more important than cooking. Because
1: it's a life skill to be able to feed yourself well and your family and other people and I think we've missed out on it to a certain extent too much in these last years. So, you know, Kathleen, you bring that back.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yes, you really you really do. And you make it seem doable. If, if that makes sense. You, you yeah, make, and I you have know.
2: complete faith in you, by the way. Oh. I, mean, I don't think you need a fire.
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to send both of you my uh, turkey Thanksgiving turkey video I did last year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll <I'm laughs> that over. That's fine. when I uh, screamed when I pulled out the turkey neck. I didn't know the turkey neck was in there. Oh, my goodness. But but that's okay. I'm going to, you know, maybe it will look like a different video this year as I uh, gain those skills with knives and and, and all of that. And, and actually trying out um, my friend's husband's new product, the Ultimate Turkey Rack. Uh, I interviewed them the other day about how you cook the turkey upside down because my friend had been cooking it oh, upside yes. down, not realizing that you weren't supposed to cook it upside down, but it was so moist. so <laughs> moist that yeah, that's it's true. A
2: that's a great way to do it.
0: Yeah. So anyway. That's a chef I... trick,
1: Margaret. You see, you actually learned a chef trick without even knowing it.
0: There you go. Hey, you go. I am just so thrilled to be learning all these things. I really want to thank both of you. Oh, just That's heartfelt you. thank you. Um, to Sharon Myers, who is the co-president of Chicago Gourmets, please check that out, org, as well as Kathleen Flynn, just an incredible Storyteller, cook, and teacher, as she describes herself on her website, Kathleen Flynn, and that's F L I N com. Check out her latest book and her other book, uh, as well as recipes. And I encourage you and, and challenge you listeners, let's learn to cook together. And for those foodies who are listeners, thank you. And thank you for your encouragement along the way too. And and um, please keep those emails and, and uh, contacts coming. I love to hear from you. And, and I really have so much more to to learn from you, Kathleen. I, I I if you could come back to Kitchen Chat and you two share and, and tell us about the wonderful Chicago events. But Kathleen, I'd love to hear sure. about what it was like um, being at the Cordon Bleu. And I remember you you briefly mentioned that it was Julia Child who encouraged you to go. Yes. I just yeah. So you had the chance to meet her.
2: Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, I can do a good oh. Julia impression. I'll come back and do it on your show sometime. Please do. I'll be glad to come back.
0: Oh, that would be great. <laughs> and maybe we could do a video of that, too. That would be just so oh, much great. fun. Oh, Well, thank you so much, Kathleen Flynn. Thank you so much, Sharon Myers, for being welcome. here in my kitchen on Thanks. Kitchen Chat. I just encourage everyone to check out these great great websites, and um, please be in touch with all of us. And as you gather in the kitchen with family and friends, just really treasure those moments as you share meals, whether they're frozen food or gourmet prepared. And always remember, dear friends, savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pro Girls, Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a
2: recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.